Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Alright, so today we're going to be speaking about Father's Day. Imagine that. We're going to be speaking to our fathers, but we're also going to be speaking to everybody who's in attendance here today because there's some things that really are not just exclusive to fathers. But in order to do this, what we first have to do is we have to acknowledge where we currently find ourselves as a society, as a nation, and as a community. If we're going to speak to what it means to be a father, then we have to recognize some of the places where fatherlessness has contributed to some of the things that we see going on around us, to some of the places in our communities and in our nation that have gone a direction that is not in accordance with God's will. You see, we find ourselves in a place where there has been a lack of fatherhood. Now, maybe the fathers have been present in the home. Sometimes they haven't been. But they haven't been present as a spiritual father. As the fathers who would raise their families to know God, to trust on Him, to rely on Him. We live in a time where there are children who are being raised far more by social media by the things going on around us, in the world around us, by other people and friends, and it's not coming from God. It's coming from the culture that serves many things other than God. We live in a time where parents bring their kids to functions and events so that they can be cultured by the world, so that they can be read a story by a drag queen, So they can be taught about something by individuals who have been stepping into this pursuit of everything that man wants to do. The pursuit of human ambition in our own emotions and desires. And parents bring their kids to these places. We live in a time where parents bring their kids to school to learn and to be protected. And unfortunately, There are times where the kids are being taught things that are a different agenda, bringing confusion into their minds about what it means to be a man or a woman. Now, I want to say we have some pretty incredible teachers just in this room right here. We have an amazing school, Faith Christian Academy, that stands on the principles of God and the truth of His Word. We have amazing teachers that serve in the public schools who bring their faith into the classroom with them, even if it can't be spoken about. We have amazing men and women who are doing these things. But I also see on social media the teachers that come home after a long day of work because one of their kids called them the wrong pronoun, and now they're a martyr. We live in a time where good is being called evil, and evil is being called good. And I have to say that there are a lot of contributing factors to this, but one of the biggest ones has to be a lack of a father who has taught them the right way to pursue their identity in him. We live in a world right now, as we're on the brink of Roe versus Wade being overturned, amen, where there are individuals who would inspire hatred and anger to speak to the communities and to say that to those who oppress us, if abortion isn't safe, you aren't either. We are everywhere. 
calling individuals to violence on the night that this is overturned. Now, if you have any question about where individuals stand, what we have to do is we have to go to the emotions that they're playing on in order to bring their results. You see, there is a kingdom of heaven and we know the fruit of the spirit. And there's also a kingdom of darkness. And any time that even we are operating in anger and judgment and condemnation, any time that we're operating in these places, we are partnering together with the tools of the enemy instead of the tools of the kingdom. You see, we have all these things going on and so many other things that have taken place in the years leading up to right now. And it would be really easy to see these things and to become really broken by them and to think that there is no hope. But the thing that we know above all else is that Jesus knows that God has placed us on the earth for this time that he has created us to be the light of the world, that he's created us to be individuals that would stand for truth, that he's created us to be the ones who would go into our communities and to stand for what we know God is saying. We know that the church is needing to wake up and that it is being awakened in this time. And this is not to discount anybody else, but I would say today that the fathers of the church, that the fathers in our community need to be the ones that would stand up and to recognize who we are and who God has called us to be. To recognize our identities that are only found in the person of Jesus above all else. You see, there's an awakening that's coming and we are called to be the light. As we look back at the history of our nation it's often very easy to look back and to see the places where we've really missed it. In the places where we have really fallen into the fallen nature of man and entered into the results of what sin brings to the table. But if we also look back, we can also see the hand of God at work in our nation and in the church as the church has taken its rightful position. See, today we look back and we think back to 1865 where there was a war that was fought and there was a message that was brought down to the South to say to those who were in slavery that you are now free because of the sacrifice of the men and women who fought for what was right. You see, there was, there was this moment in time where those stood up and said, this is no longer something that we can stand for. I don't care what culture is saying. I don't care what the world is saying around us. We have to stand for what is right. And out of that, there was a freedom that was brought. You see, for us now, we need to be in pursuit of the kingdom of God and the freedom that only he can bring. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The things that we rely on to bring the change and the transformation are not the tools of reliance upon ourselves and our own ability and our own ways of thinking through things and, and fixing things and making them right, it is out of our reliance on the Spirit of God. See, this morning we're going to look at a story, but before we do, I just have to say this. Once again, it would be easy to look at the things that are going wrong in this world, but we have to look to heaven in these moments. 
We have to trust in Him. This is not a call this morning to activism. This is not a call to rely on our own abilities, but it is a call to arms. It is a call to be armed by the truth of the Word of God, by the identity that He has given us, and to understand that no matter what it is that we're facing, no matter what the circumstances that we're looking at, that we have the ability to trust in Him, to bring His results, to bring His wisdom, to bring His power into those places. We have to rely on him. We have to be the ones that would speak into our communities and into the spiritual realms and to say, Satan, you're no longer going to have access to our children and to our communities and to our families. That we are going to stand in agreement with the truth of what God is saying. So this morning, speaking once again to fathers, I want to look at the story found in 1 Samuel about the life of David. You see, we know David as the king of Israel. We know David as the man after God's own heart, and we know him as the giant slayer, the one who would go out and to defeat Goliath. We know him as the one who would pursue God in so many areas, but we find this story right here in the middle of the journey in 1 Samuel chapter 27, where what David is doing is he's walking in according to his own understanding. He's choosing to rely on the flesh to find a solution to a problem that he's facing. You see, David is the young boy who is out. He's a shepherd. He's taking care of his father's flocks. The lion and the bear come against them. He defeats them. Samuel comes later on. He anoints him as the next king of Israel. He goes out and he defeats Goliath, the giant, and he's given the king's daughter. He has his victories in battle time and time again. And yet after all of this, we see that he still doesn't have what he's looking for. That year after year after year go by and he's still not the king. He's still not sitting on the throne. He's been promised something, but it hasn't come into fruition yet. The question that I have to ask right away today is that in the places of our lives where we haven't seen the results that we're looking for, in the places where we've expected something to happen and it hasn't quite happened yet, where do we turn to in those moments? Where do we look to to find the answer that we need? And what is the source of our strength? You see, there's moments in all of our lives where we have felt this before. We felt the disappointment of life not ending up the way that we would expect it to look. Maybe as a young boy, we dreamed our life would look one way and that when we grew up that we were going to have a certain amount of money in the bank account. We're going to have a certain amount of cars in the garage. Caleb's already asking me for trucks and trucks and trucks and said, Caleb, where are we going to park all these trucks? And he said, don't worry, we have the grass. We can find a place for them. But I remember back to a time in my life where I thought things were going to go a certain way. And they didn't. I remember looking back, I was looking at my yearbook this past week because we had the eighth grade graduation here at the school. And I looked at my picture and there was a Bible verse, which was a really good Bible verse. And then there was my future aspiration that I was going to be on the New York Yankees. And there was no doubt in my mind if you would have asked me there in eighth grade that a couple years later that the Yankees were just going to come find me. They're going to call me up and I was going to be the shortstop. 
Until one day my mom looked at me and said, Sam, you're not going to be on the Yankees. It's not going to happen. Like, you got to get your head out of the clouds. What are you thinking? You're not even like playing travel baseball or anything like that, right? You're in Little League. That's great. You did a good job. You made an all-star team, but you're not going to play in the Yankees. And so I had to have my world come crashing down around me and realize that that wasn't going to be my future. And she probably said it a lot kinder than that, but that's how I heard it. But there are these moments in our lives where we expect things to look a certain way and then we arrive at a certain point and it looks completely different. In those moments, where do we turn? In those times where things haven't gone the way that we expected them to go, where do we turn? You see, David faced a situation like this. But David in this moment in 1 Samuel chapter 27 verse 1, we see this conversation that he starts to have with himself, which can often be a dangerous thing. We start to talk to ourselves, it better be what God is saying. But it says in 27 verse 1, then Samuel said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel and I shall escape out of his hands. The first question is this. What are we saying to ourselves in those moments? David was the young man who had been anointed as the king over Israel. He was the one who went out against Goliath, and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would stand and defy the armies of the living God? He would go and take stones out of the riverbed and he would use his sling to defeat the giant. And yet here he is on the back of that victory and so many victories along the way where God had spoken something and done something in his life. And yet he says here, Saul's going to kill me. The answer to this problem that Saul's going to kill me is that I need to go into the land of the Philistines. You see, he doesn't just flee, but he goes into the enemy territory. He goes into the place of the enemy for his protection. He seeks something else to be the thing that's going to be the answer that he needs. But the biggest problem, even more so than David going to the Philistines, is that he doesn't go alone. It says in verses 2 and 3, So David went, he and 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath, And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household. And David also took his two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail. So first of all, he goes to the land of the Philistines. And not only that, but it says that he goes to Gath. If Gath sounds familiar, it's because there was a certain man who came from Gath, a giant named Goliath. He went to the place of the giant that he had defeated Because that was supposed to be the place that was going to give him the rescue that he needed. At no point does it say that God told David to go to the Philistines. It said, and he said to himself, Saul is going to kill me. And so he took it upon himself to go into the place that he thought was going to have protection for him. But once again, he didn't go alone. It says he brought the 600 men who were following after him. The 600 men who had trusted in him, their wives, their children, his wives, his children, all into the enemy territory. 
Can I tell you today that when we make decisions of compromise, it doesn't just affect us. When we make decisions to trust and to rely on our own strength and ability, it doesn't simply impact our lives. But there is always an effect that it has on our families, on our communities, and on those who would follow after us. So David goes into this place, he brings the men who trust with him, trust in him, and they are affected by this compromise. You see, two things happen here that are very important for us to look at here today. David says to himself, Saul's going to kill me. He goes to the land of the Philistines. He compromises. And there are two devastating effects. Number one, David loses his identity. See, once again, David had been anointed as the next king of Israel. He was the giant slayer of Israel. He was the one who was going to bring freedom and victory to Israel, but yet we find him going over into the land of the Philistines, and so he's no longer an Israelite, really, but he's also not a Philistine. He's in this in-between place that sometimes we find ourselves in, where we know enough of God, we know enough of our identity in him, that we know who we are to an extent, but we also sometimes go to the world to try to find answers for our questions. And so we have too much of God in us to really fully go into the world, but we have a reliance on the world that when we step back into this relationship with God, we start to feel the condemnation and the separation that comes when we choose our own way. It's this middle ground. And it's in this middle ground that David loses his identity And then even worse, he loses his family. It says in chapter 30, verses 1 through 5, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag, which was the city that the king had given him to to exist in, on the third day, the Amalekites, remember that name, had made a raid against Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went on their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the men who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength left to weep. David's two wives were also taken captive. You see, David chooses his own wisdom. He chooses his own ability. He chooses to turn to a source of strength that is not found in the God that had given him the victory over the giant, but to a source of strength that was found within himself. He loses his identity, and he comes back to the city of Ziklag to find that his family had been stolen away from him. And not only that, but the family of all of those who were counting on him to be their leader. You see, the thing is, when we lead out of a place of our own strength, out of a place of our own ability, what happens when we run out of our own strength? What happens when we get to the end of ourselves and all that we have had to give has been our own ability? 
You see, generally what happens is we turn to other things and maybe we blame other people or we find ways to cope with the pain or to deal with what we're going through. But that's not the answer. And we see that David goes into this place of mourning and of grieving as this is happening. But so often in our lives, what we turn to are depression, anxiety, fear, shame. Very often, as men, we turn to anger. We put on a bravado. We put on this this image that we're strong enough to handle all of it. If anybody gets too close to us in in, in those moments, we react and we snap at them. You see, we have our coping mechanisms, and sometimes those aren't enough. Then we also turn to excessive drinking and to drug use and to pornography and to all the other things that would try to ease the pain and to ease the places inside of us where we know that we don't have enough but we're still trying to figure out a way to make ourselves feel better. You see, we have to be aware of the identity that God has given us and the fact that our source is not found in us, but it's found in Him. Because the other thing about this is that as we choose to trust in ourselves and in our own places of of trying to figure it all out and trying to make sense of all of it, Once again, these decisions are not being made in a vacuum. Not too long ago, I would say maybe a couple weeks ago, my son Caleb was pretty upset about something. He got a little bit emotional about something and and it turned into anger. And I remember my wife looked at me and she said, where did that come from? Like that just didn't seem like the right response for that moment. And I looked at her And I said, unfortunately, I know exactly where that came from. Because the way he responded is the way that I feel sometimes coming up inside of me when things don't go the way that I want them to or I've relied on my own strength and ability. It's just that I've learned how to cope with it a little bit better, maybe conceal it a little bit more, and not to fly off the handle. But the places in our lives that we have allowed to exist... The places where there has been a battle that God has called us to fight, but we found a way around it by coping and trying to feel better about it are the very things that we pass down to the next generation. They're the very things that our family then has to deal with generation after generation because we didn't fight the battle with God being our strength. And what happens is the door gets left open and then we see the enemy attack And we wonder how we got in. But as David did, he said to himself, I'm going to be killed. I need to go to the land of the Philistines. We make these decisions inside of ourselves. We pursue the thing that we think is going to make it better. We compromise and the door is then left open for the enemy to come in. And he doesn't really need an invitation. But if we leave the door wide open, guess what? He's going to take it. And so David's entire family and the families of those with him are stolen away. But thankfully, David at this moment remembers who his God is. He remembers the God that had given him the victory over the giant. He remembered the God who had given him the victory over the lion and the bear. 
He remembered the God who had called him out and said, you are going to be the next king of Israel. Even though there was no reason for anyone to think it at that moment in time. And it says in verse 6, And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each one of them for their sons and their daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Because he remembered that the source of his strength, the only thing that was going to change this situation was not to run away again, but it was to turn back to God. Somebody here needs to hear this this morning. There's a situation that you've been going through and you've been trying to handle it in your own strength and ability. But God is saying, the only way out of this is to turn back to me, to be strengthened back by God who's created you. To no longer choose to trust in our own abilities. I ask myself this question. How many times am I going to go back to the same well? How many times am I going to go back to my own abilities when God has said, I've called you to do something, I've equipped you to do something, and I want to walk with you into it? We have to know from where our help comes from. We have to know the source of our strength to be able to do what he's called us to do. Our world needs us to be the ones who would step into the identity that God has for us. And it's really cool to see what happens as soon as David strengthens himself in the Lord because all of a sudden his speech starts to change. It's not Saul's going to kill me. It's not my family's gone forever. He says to God, shall I pursue after this band and shall I overtake them? His faith shifts. He sees who God is and he says, should I go after them? Can I do this, God? Will you be with me? Will you restore what has been stolen? Because it may look impossible, but I've just encouraged myself in you and now I know what's possible. And so God says to him, pursue for you shall surely overtake and you shall surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, they came along with him. And I wish I had some more time to talk about this. But what happens is 400 go with him out of the 600 and 200 don't have the strength to carry on. They're too broken. They're too distressed. And so the 400 go into battle. And eventually when they return... The 400 say, we don't want to give the 200 any of the spoil that we've just recovered. Can I tell you that there are men, maybe in this room, but in our communities, that feel like they have no strength left, they can't fight anymore, they can't do it, they've failed too many times, they've abandoned their families, they've, they've walked away from too many things, and yet we as the church are meant to be the ones who stand around them, who encourage them and lift them back up. And to see God's hand at work in their lives as well. So David pursues them in verse 16. Along the way, they meet a slave that had been a part of that group. And he leads them to the the people, to the Amalekites, who, by the way, are the very people that God had told Saul to kill and to wipe out. And he didn't because he was trusting in his own ability. Remember that? It's better to walk in obedience than sacrifice. So the door was left open for them to come in. 
It says when David got there, he saw them eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. They were partying. They were excited. They were so happy about what they had done. I have to tell you that I think the picture of hell right now, as they see what's taking place in our communities and in our culture, is that they are partying because they think that they are winning by stealing the identities of this world, of the generations that are coming. They think that they're winning. But there was another time that they were partying. And it's when Jesus had been crucified. And they thought that they had won the victory in that moment. Until Jesus had come back down and he had taken back the authority. He had taken back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. You see, the kingdom of darkness may be partying right now. Thinking that everything is going the way that they want. But there is something about men and women who would stand up to step into their God-given identities. To understand what we've been called to do that are willing to stand for their families, for their communities, for their churches, for their businesses, that they would stand up and say, Satan, you no longer are going to have a hand in my life and in my children's life and in our communities. But it only comes when we have strengthened ourselves in the Lord. When we have understood that our power does not come from us, but it comes from him. It goes on to say in verse 17, that David struck them down from the twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. But David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives and nothing was missing whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all and he got a little bit extra for his trouble. David recovered all when he pursued what God had for him, when he had strengthened himself in the Lord. You see, there's so much that we could be discouraged by when we look at the world around us until we realize the God that we serve. There may be so many things in your life right now that you look at and you can be discouraged by until you understand that when we choose to turn back to the grace of God, that he is able to take every situation that the enemy has designed for evil and to use it for good in your life. But where are you finding your strength today? Men in this room, where are we finding our strength? Where are we turning to? Because we need to step into a place of recovering the identity of being sons of God.